On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Look, the thing I suppose that, that just disappoints me about the whole situation is now that you know that Steve Smith and Dave Warner, um, those two guys in particular, are, are over promoting other tournaments by playing in them. Um, and I understand, you know, the rulings that happened, you know, with Cricket Australia, the 12-month bans, um, and all the stipulations they put around that. But for them to be able to have the opportunity to, be able to go and promote other tournaments, I'd prefer them to be if they're going to do that and they have access to be able to do that. I'd prefer them to be having the access to be able to promote the Big Bash, for example, because it's a great tournament and they can go and promote other tournaments, but it would be nice to have them, if they can play those games, to be able to play the Big Bash as well. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel, a.k.a. Menas, and that was Shane Watson speaking at the top of the show. And let me introduce my special guest today. I have joining me again former Australian captain, and expert commentator for a number of outlets, maybe all the outlets. Welcome to the show, Lisa Stalaker. How are you, Lisa? I'm good, thanks, Menas. Uh, Apologise to everyone. I do have the flu at the moment, but hopefully the voice is okay. Voice is great and you're looking tip-top. Um, <laughs> now, I'm thinking that the reason you might be sick is all those late nights in the Channel 9 studios watching Australia get hammered against England. How did you manage to stay awake till 3, 4 in the morning watching those games? Well, I think the key is to always have a nap before you go into work, which I never have an issue uh, doing that. I certainly didn't when I was playing either. But the cricket, there were times that, uh, you know, the Australians didn't perform as well. Well, uh, but the last game certainly kept us uh, on the edge of our seats. And obviously I had a few of the guys with me and uh, we kept ourselves entertained. I, I can believe you could stay awake okay, but I can imagine <laughs> it must have been harder for T- Tubby Taylor, Michael Slater, Ian Healy, even David Warner staying awake as it got, got later. Be honest, how many times did they sort of doze off? Uh, no one dozed off actually. A hand on my heart, but speaking to to Michael Slater, who obviously did uh, breakfast radio for a number of years, he said he'd take over. He'd take getting up at three thirty or four a.m. over staying up all night and doing a night shift. And uh, I thought, wow, that's a big call from him because he did that for years. So I just credit to all those people that uh, have done night shifts and and continue to do it. My I tip my hat to you. So what was it like being with David Warner in the studio? Because obviously there was a lot of anticipation about what he was going to say and his demeanour. How was he? He was good. He was really talkative, to be honest. Obviously, on air, everyone heard what he said. But off air, he was talking a lot about his family, what he's been up to, what he's trying to do with his house, all sorts of things. So he seemed, you know, relatively in a good mood. He was telling stories of a lot of paparazzi following him and, finds that difficult obviously with the kids and but he understands that he made some decisions and he, he's got to face all of the consequences and unfortunately with the media you know one of those things are cameramen following you around every time you step outside of your house absolutely 
Also, from that that group of Channel 9, Michael Slater's signed for Channel 7, which is a great signing. I really like Slats. I think he's got that real sort of, as you talked about, his breakfast radio experience. He's, he's a, quite a skilled broadcaster now. He must be good to work with. Yeah, he's a, a lot of fun, and I have always enjoyed my time when I have worked with him, whether it be Channel 9 covering the women's games or even at an ICC event. I did that in, uh, I think, 2016 in India. I think his voice is made for T20 cricket, like he, over in the IPL, his excitement, you know, he gets up off his chair. He really lives and breathes every moment that's going on the field and you can tell that in his commentary. And he's a, he's a great bloke. Um, you know, I spent a lot of late nights after a game trying to de-stress and uh, we just sit and chat and talk about all sorts of things and the stories of when he played. And, yeah, he's a great guy and I thoroughly enjoyed working with him. Great asset for Channel 7 to get slats. He's one of the few that from Channel 9 have been signed very quickly. All right, so in this edition of the podcast, Lisa and I are going to go through all the cricket headlines, a lot to talk about, and then we're going to wrap it all up by having a little debate about a radical idea to speed up women's cricket. So that's all to come. Let's start with the T20 series going on in Zimbabwe. Australia have beaten Pakistan in their first game of the series, and that is their first win since the first test in South Africa and their first win with Justin Langer as coach. And Lisa, for a while there, after what happened in England, it didn't look like it was going to happen. Well, certainly they were outplayed by a dominant England side, but changing locations, changing country, changing opposition. Obviously, I've I've been and spent a bit of time at the Harare Sports Club where they're playing in Zimbabwe. Good ground, good facilities for their fast bowlers. And Billy Stanlake, what about his spell? Four for eight. Unbelievable. So it's the second best ever spell by an Australian in a T20 international. Four for eight. Eight runs off four overs is actually the most economical ever by a fast bowler or any bowler for Australia in international T20 cricket. Stan Lake just looks so dangerous with the new ball. You know, you've got to think if we can get him fit and get him playing red ball cricket, what he could do. It's exciting. And that's why a lot of... Current players, past players are all, you know, licking their lips at the prospects of of Billy Stanlake. And you look at that ODI side that toured England uh, and given the fact that you're going to have six or seven players coming back into that team come World Cup. Billy Stanlake is is a name that needs to be included with that group of players and, and the asset of that extra bounce and pace that he generates is is something that's based on conditions. The Australian team potentially might drop a Hazelwood, a Cummins or a Stark to ensure that Stanlake uh, gets a, an opportunity. Absolutely. He brings up something that the others don't offer, that, that tall bounce. I guess, you know, looking at the three bowlers, you mentioned Cummins and Stark are probably the most suited to white ball cricket just ahead of Hazelwood and Stanlake would push pretty hard to get in the 11 if he was available. Just the interesting thing about our T20 team, I think it's a real interesting turnaround for the T20 side because they are usually 
the sort of most underperforming Australian side. But actually now they're probably the side in the most form. They won the Tri-Series in Australia earlier this year. I mean, they've only lost David Warner with the bands. He's the only player really unavailable from the side. So, I mean, this T20 side is looking pretty good. I think they're ranked uh, second ICC ranking. So, yeah, they're the, the highest ranked Australian side. Uh, and given the fact that uh, in 2020 is the next men's World T20 competition, I think that's certainly an area that Cricket Australia wants to ensure that, well, hang on, the men haven't actually lifted a T20 uh, title yet. It would be great if they could do that on, on home soil like they did in, in 2015. So, more emphasis is being put on that side. The fact that they're pl- they've got this tri-series and they had that one recently just shows you there's more T20 fixtures where instead of just an add-on at the end of one or two games, mm. there's actually the importance being placed on this group. Absolutely. In Australia, smash Pakistan in the opener. Pakistan all out for 116. Australia won for 117 in reply. Finch, 68, not out with six sixes. Now, I think Aaron Finch would be pretty close to favour now to be our one-day skipper. What do you think? Certainly based on his ability and that he's done it in the past and the questions around Tim Payne, whether he's good enough to, to hold his place. The only concern moving forward is that Aaron Finch, when he has been captain for long periods of time, he hasn't necessarily been as successful, whether it be as an individual player or the team's performance. So everyone grows up, everyone matures, everyone learns from uh, past experiences. And I'd like to think that Aaron Finch certainly has and and knows what the group needs. Certainly with the type of players that are coming back in, there were talks of potentially Mitch Marsh mm. um, kind of holding down the, the one-day captaincy. I still think he's probably a bit too young trying to cement his spot in that side. So Aaron Finch is is your easy name that, that shines in, in light. So he just needs to keep proving himself during this tri-series. I like Aaron Finch. He comes across kind of relaxed but very focused he's just got married so I think you know he's probably in a good space off the field you know he might be the one to lead us to the 50 over world cup next year he seems well equipped to deal with all the stuff that's going to get thrown at the squad when Smith and Warner come back so yep I think Aaron Finch has a lot to prove in this T20 try series if he can show that he's got the right stuff for Justin Langer then maybe he could get the 50 over job. Correct. All right. Now, we're going to move on to the week in cricket headlines. But before we do that, I forgot to talk about at the beginning, Shane Watson opened the show by getting on board with me. I think last time I had you on the podcast, I talked to you and Elisa Healy about the band trio being not able to play the Big Bash. You know, Watson says at the beginning that they should be able to play because they're off promoting a a comp in Canada rather than promoting the Big Bash. It makes a <laughs> an easy argument, doesn't it, when when they go off and play. And I think David Warner's going to the Caribbean Premier League as well. So if they're playing in all of these other T20 competitions, why wouldn't Cricket Australia consider them coming back into the Big Bash, especially now that the Big Bash is being lengthened? Uh, there's more matches. So to keep the interest of the audience and the public uh, you need to have your sprinkles of stars and events that, that mm. occur throughout that competition. And and having the likes of, of those players, and, and we've seen when, when our test players come back into the Big Bash, there is a, a resurgence in viewership and also just the level of cricket that's being played. And it'd be great to see them in there, but 
like I said, I think in the previous podcast, I understand the reasons why Cricket Australia have a policy and they're, they're following by the letter of the law. Yeah, but I get the feeling now, as time goes on, that Cricket Australia pandered to the public reaction without actually thinking about what would be the best for the game and even these young players. And, you know, it just looks more and more silly as time goes on that they're not going to be able to play in the Big Bash. So hopefully it could change. I still hold some hope that perhaps they could get let into the Big Bash. Maybe Shane Watson can put in a good word. Well, they're going to listen to Watto more than they listen to me, so (laughs) hopefully this podcast does something to get them back into the Big Bash. All right, moving on now to the Week in Cricket headlines brought to you by the Daily Telegraph. You can keep up with all the cricket action there at dailytelegraph.com.au slash cricket. One of our reporters, Ben Horn, has been in Canada reporting on the Global T20 and Smith and Warner returning. So he's got lots of great articles there if you want to do a deep dive into what's been happening in Canada. The first headline, Australia have led the way again in cricket. Our severe reaction to the ball tampering has prompted has prompted the ICC to increase the the sanctions if you're caught ball tampering. Previously, it was a level two offence. Now it is a level three offence. And you could miss up to six, six test matches or 12 one-day internationals if you're caught ball tampering, which to me seems a very appropriate response by the ICC. Well, you can thank Cricket Australia for that, can't you? The fact that they uh, banned the players quite harshly and everyone globally thought that it was... doesn't say anything about the Big Bash in this sanction. <laughs> no, Sorry. it doesn't. Call back. <laughs> but uh, ICC has really spent some time looking at what their bans are, what it, what it is for and how they want to move forward with the game and, and how it's viewed. And they've got to get their bans right and their sanctioning process right. And, and they've enlisted a number of past players to kind of educate them on you know, what's the way forward? And uh, I'm really happy to see that ICC has come out and changed the level of sanctioning based on the offence. Yeah, and I just think it revolves around the integrity of the game. You know, we were, there were start question marks arising about the integrity of the game. And for casual fans, when they turn on and they see news of ball tampering, I think it does affect the global image of the game. So, you know, to have four captains busted for ball tampering. Um, well, Smith wasn't actually caught ball tampering, but he just condoned it. But Faf Duplessis and uh, the Sri Lankan skipper Chandamol, they had to do something. And this will certainly make players think very carefully about whether they actually do any ball tampering at all. You know, even a lot the old lolly trick or, or something in the hair. You know, if you get caught, you can miss two test series. Six test matches is two series now. So I think it's a really good one. All right, the the next one, the be, the next headline, the band trio have returned to cricket. Smith and Warner have been playing in Canada for the Global T20 League and Cameron Bancroft has been playing at the MCG, the Marara Cricket Ground in um in the top end so he could play in the Northern Territory Strike League. So I guess that'd be what Darwin he'd be playing in. Mm-hmm. Um, All right, so let's start with Steve Smith. Now, he's been playing for the Toronto Nationals and he spoke after his first game and he admitted in hindsight he was mentally burnt out by the pressures and bubble of being Australian captain by the time he arrived in South Africa. And he was he's happy for the break now to ha- and he's been working with some kids going around to different schools in Sydney and educating them on mental health. I mean, what do you think about Smith's comments about him being burnt out? 
honest. That's pleasing to hear. He's certainly not shying away from from all his emotions that he's experienced during that time, after that time, and it would have been really dark days for him. I would imagine there would be a, a level of embarrassment. He would have been so disappointed in himself for letting down a lot of people. And it also highlights the fact that this wasn't an easy time for the guys. Whilst everyone was was wanting blood and they got the blood, I think everyone realised then the fallout from that and how it's going to affect individuals is, is worrying. And, and we need to make sure that in Cricket Australia need to make sure that they're looking after these guys and providing the right resources around them because it is going to be tough during this period as they slowly get back into cricket and then hopefully one day when they put on the baggy green or the Australian colours again, there's going to be another level or a wave of outcry or disappointment by lots of people and it would be quite confronting to these players. So I thought it was good that that firstly he's going around to, to schools and, and putting his hand up and saying, look, it's it's okay to be weak or that you've made mistakes but you've got to learn from them and, and move on. And uh, obviously he would be he'd be talking about his mental state of mind during that time. I think kids can learn from that because sports stars are kind of put up on the dais and, and you look at them and you think, wow, they're perfect but they're not perfect. And I think Steve Smith being as honest as he has been shows that. Yeah. I think the danger signs were there for Smith leading up to this. Now, no one could have predicted exactly what would happen, but there was a level of stress and he used to wear his emotions on his sleeve. So I think you could, if you looked carefully, you could see something coming for Smith. Shane Watson spoke. So Shane Watson was speaking at the SCG last week and he was saying that Smith will be a better leader when he comes back for the experience. I agree with that. Steve Smith could captain Australia again, but I don't know if he will. Because my thoughts is that other players might come along who are better suited to leadership. I mean, Smith has shown so far that the stress of leadership was a lot for him. He obviously let the ball tampering occur. So maybe whether he could captain again, but maybe he won't. Maybe they'll pick someone who they think is better suited to the role. Certainly he was a young captain coming into the role. The lessons that he would have learnt throughout this time, and you could see that he was getting better. I thought he was getting better as a captain, whether it be tactically or or trying to lead by example. He he is a shy, innocent guy, really. He just loves his cricket and wants to just go about his cricket. But, you know, he tried to get his personality out a little bit more. You know, when he scored that 100 at the Gabba to start off the Ashes series, he beat the chest and, you know, tried to kind of rile up his side with his emotions. Um, I don't think all of that came naturally for him and he had to work on that. Can he be a better captain because of this? Absolutely. Will he be captain? I guess it depends on who's coming up through the ranks. At the moment, I can't see anyone really at the moment that could take over the captaincy from him if given the opportunity. I still think potentially he's the the right man for the job. There is an interesting precedent or an interesting example of this with a batsman you might have heard of heard of called Sachin Tendulkar. He was pretty good batsman, but he wasn't great at captaincy and it didn't suit him. He didn't enjoy it. He liked to be in his batting bubble and just sort of stay in that bubble. And I think Smith could be similar. I mean, he spoke, if you read some of the articles in on the Daily Telegraph, he does speak about just being in the batting bubble all the time. And so, yeah, I, I, so it was really interesting. Smith's back in action. I'm really glad he's playing cricket somewhere, but let's hope we can get him playing cricket a bit closer to home soon. David Warner spoke after um, his first game in 
Toronto, and he said that he hasn't really spoken to Smith much in Sydney after what happened, but, you know, they'll spend some time together in Canada. And I I think this would be about, like any relationship, Warner broke Steve Smith's trust, and there's an element of having to build that up again. I guess we don't really know what happened in the change rooms, do we, and the conversations that led to the ball tampering affair. So... There's a, I would assume there's a, there's a lot of issues that they need to deal with. I think the whole playing group as well, and they will do deal with that in time. I, I think it was probably a wise move for all of them just to kind of have a break, spend time with the loved ones, try and get yourself mentally okay, and now the process will start to happen of trying to to kind of rebuild that trust and the relationships that that could have potentially have broken down or are broken down because of the incident. It's never nice things, but these guys are professionals. Steve Smith and Dave Warner have been playing cricket with each other for such a long period of time. You think back to New South Wales underage sides, school sides, um, they would have been playing cricket and coming up in the same generation. So there's a lot of history there. So you'd like to think that they can get past if they have issues at the moment. All right, Cameron Bancroft has returned to cricket. He spoke after his return playing in the the NT Strike League, which is, I guess, a rung below the Big Bash, which is how he's able to play in Australia. Um, He was very philosophical and quite relaxed while he was being interviewed up there. And he was asked if his ban could get shortened. And he said, well, it would be amazing if it did. I think the fact that he's in a really good place just shows the programs and, and... what the Western Australian Cricket Association is doing for him. Out of all of the interviews when the players came home, Chris Matthews, the CEO, was there sitting next to him, started the conversation, said, look, he's still part of the family, he's done something wrong, but we'll be here helping him through. And he's contracted still with Western Australia, so they have a responsibility to look after him. And and I think they're doing a great job. So there is no doubt that he will be a better person because of this. Uh, Great to see that he's playing uh, up at at Northern Territory and playing cricket and kind of bringing a bit of prominence, a bit like having all of uh, David Warner and Steve Smith over in Canada. I don't think I've ever seen so many news channels like tuning into the first game of a T20 tournament that really on the radar doesn't kind of really exist. So um, so it's good that they're kind of promoting those events as well. Now, a couple of things about this Canadian tournament. <laughs> There's lots of big names playing. Gail, Russell, Afridi, Enriquez, Siddle, Luke Ronke's playing. But there's a few little things about it. So it's a long way out of town. It's like 40 minutes out of Toronto. So it's sort of in the middle of nowhere. They're using roughly the same square for the whole tournament. So already after a few days, the pitch is doing all sorts of funny things. And then on one side of the the ground, there's a property that won't return the balls. So, you know, <laughs> it's a T20 tournament. So loads of balls are being smashed into this property. And, and those Canadian... them a fortune. The, yeah, exactly. Those cooker, <laughs> white kookaburras aren't cheap. So someone is just stockpiling these white kookaburras and not returning them. So I think that's quite amusing. It's like a school ground uh, yeah, it, with it's, a it's crotchety funny. neighbour. Yeah, I saw um, I saw it this morning and I just thought it reminded me of some of the places that we played some international cricket, you know, more a suburban ground. So uh, with built-up stands, you mentioned the pitch. I noticed that puffs of dust were occurring as the ball was being delivered and players were finding it quite difficult when it was at that awkward length. So 
Lessons to be learned for the first tournament, but certainly the fact that they've got all those big names, it's a good thing. All right, now the next cricket headline. Elisa Healy, our guest from a couple of shows ago, was made the New South Wales skipper of the women's cricket team. She joins Peter Neville as the men's skipper, so wicket keepers are taking over New South Wales cricket. And I guess this really brought to, to the fore one thing for me, the difference between being a state skipper and an international skipper. Now, Peter Neville, Elisa Healy, they don't have the same demands as an international skipper, so they can wicket-keep, they can bat, and they can captain New South Wales. But you transfer that same role to the international level, and there's so many more demands on your time, media, preparation, everything that goes with it. It's a lot harder for a wicket-keeper to captain an international team. I think, you know, a rule of thumb, a wicketkeeper has always been a great choice as a vice-captain. They're in the prime position to help captains out with angles. They tend to be the leader on the field anyway about energy and throws up and, and movement out there. I agree with you in the fact that when you become an international captain, there is more media requirements. There's more scrutiny on the performances of the teams, whereas certainly the domestic competitions, um, apart from Big Bash, Except for pure cricket lovers, we're the ones that are following it, but the general public aren't really engaged in the Sheffield Shield or the Women's National Cricket mm. League. Uh, however, for Elisa Healy, she opens the batting as well, whereas at least Peter Neville comes down the order. So I think it's going to be a really testing time for her to be able, can she switch off from being captain of a re- relatively young squad and then just focusing on her skills because... She's a key player within that side, as is Peter Neville, Tim Payne. So it'll be interesting to see how the keepers go. Now, my understanding was that Healy was made <laughs> New South Wales skipper because Elise Perry is over in England with her husband, who's playing professional rugby union. So she's not here for the preseason. Uh, there what? was, I, I believe the first choice was Rachel Haynes because yep. she's the current Australian vice captain. But Rachel had spoken about it and said, look, I'm not going to be playing much longer. Why don't you take an opportunity to potentially bring someone in who's going to be playing for New South Wales a longer period and can kind of cement their position or what they're trying to do with this young group of players. I don't I don't know where Elise Perry came into the conversation because obviously she's the captain of the Sydney Sixers. But certainly uh, having played under both of them, they they are completely different. Uh, Their personalities are different. Elisa Healy a little bit more laid back. Elise Perry demands excellence because that's what she is, excellent at everything. And for a young group, maybe the personality. And I I think with, with a captain, you've got to fit it in with the type of players that you've got at the moment which is the best personality to bring the best out of this group. Mm. And I actually believe that Elisa Healy has that type of personality to do that. Well, fantastic. I look forward to it unfolding. I don't think Tim Payne is going to last long as Australian captain in any format the way it's going at the moment. I really like Tim Payne. I really think he's a fantastic guy. He's said all the right things since he's been made Australian captain. But... It would be foolish for everybody to ignore years and years of cricket history and think that he can continue and just be Superman. Bat, keep, captain. I mean, we saw at the end of the one-day series against England, he was dropping catches. 
it, it was tough. And I, I just, my worry is that it's going to be too much for Tim Payne. So as much as I want wicket keepers to continue to take <laughs> over, I think at the test level, we really need to find a test captain really quickly. Um, well, who do you suggest then? That's, that's the problem. You know, I thought of you know, Usman Kawaja. Why not? That first test next summer, he'll probably bat at three. He captains Queensland. He's a senior player. He's got more experience than most of the other batting lineup. Hanscom's too young. Mitch Marsh is too young. I just perhaps think that Usman Kawaja might be the man to do it. And it might just be for a short period. But I, I, I think it's something we've got to consider because I don't want to burn Tim Payne out. You know, he'd be a great vice captain to someone like Usman. And Cricket Australia's marketing department would have a field day with Usman Kawaja as captain. The next headline, Australia's Women's World T20 Group has been announced for the the World T20 that's happening this November in the West Indies. Australia have a very tough group. They have Pakistan, New Zealand and India and a qualifier yet to be decided. So it's two groups of five, top two in each group go through to the semi-finals. I think that's a really hard group for Australia. New Zealand and India in particular stand out as being tough opposition. Yeah, it's going to be extremely difficult for the team. And you'd expect the conditions in West Indies, I think we spoke about in the last podcast, to be almost subcontinent-like. So the fact that you've got India there, Pakistan, and you would expect the other qualifier could be someone like a Bangladesh or a Sri Lanka means that uh, it's going to be tough. But if you want to win a world title, you should beat every team that you play against and they're going to have to do that. I guess they've avoided England, uh, which is probably one thing they can be happy about in their group. All right, so that was the Week in Cricket headlines. We're going to take a break, but before we take a break, a couple of things. I want to read the latest podcast review that was left on the Australian iTunes store. Thank you so much for leaving the review. It says, best podcast, five stars. This is my favorite podcast. Love the diversity of guests, in particular, the intelligent and articulate contributions from Peter Lawler, Ben Horn, and Lisa Stalaker. Great to hear female voices from time to time and Mena's enthusiasm is infectious. So thank you for that review. And if you please can go on and leave a review for the show on whatever app you listen to the show, that would be much appreciated. You had a good rap there, Lisa. Yeah, I'll take that. Thank you very much. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then I'll be back with an exclusive interview with Shane Watson at the SCG. So Watto has re-signed with the Sydney Thunder in the Big Bash for two more years, um, taking him probably to the end of his career. And I caught up with him outside the SCG uh, last week. So let's have a listen to that and then I'll be back with Lisa. Um, I'm outside the SCG with Shane Watson. Yeah. Shane, you've signed with uh, the Sydney Thunder for two more years. Is that mm-hmm. sort of the progression towards the end of your career? Yes, it certainly is. Um, you know, to have, be able to have a, a chance to be able to play two more years with the Sydney Thunder is um, is very exciting. Look, I've, I've absolutely loved my, my uh, three years that I've had so far with, this, uh, with the Thunder. Um, now with a, with a new coach, um, to be able to work with Shane Bond, who I've always... Well, always admired playing against him, but then let alone as a, as a coach, I've only the people that have worked with with Shane, but also the coaches that have worked with him. He's the leading fast bowling coach in the world. You know, so to him, for him to be able to have a opportunity as a head coach is a perfect timing for him. And from a bowling point of view, our 
bowlers are going to you know, be very fortunate to be able to work with you know, the best bowling coach in the world. So, um, yeah, the skills he's going to bring, it's exciting to be able to be a part of, of this transition, I suppose, into the new coaching and also transition into a younger, a younger squad as well. So, you know, being an experienced player, that's a thing that I love about being able to um, help the young guys coming through with their cricket on the field, but also, you know, life off the field as well. So, um, I'm excited to be able to have another couple yeah, of years of doing it. What about your role guiding this team? I mean, it's a longer season now, so you're going to, mm. you know, it's extended into February. You're going to be with this team longer. What, what do you want to impart on the, the young players coming through? Look, I just want them to be the best cricketers they can be, but also the best people they can be and continue to develop all those aspects. Um, and now having a chance to be able to be together for a longer period of time because the window's always um, you know, widening uh, for the BBL, it gives us more opportunity to be able to really you know, have, a, have our mark and make our mark on um, you know, these, these young guys who are coming through. So, like, in the end, with the, when the tournaments get longer, then it's one of the most important things is managing your energy because you can sort of start on the bat out of hell and then crash and burn towards the end so which I've seen plenty of times and been involved in teams that have done that as well so it's going to provide more challenges in that regard but um, you know, have, having Shane Bond as well working with him is going to is, um, is going to be great to be able to try and get that balance right. Yeah, and are you going to, have you got any plan for you to be able to get through the longer season? I mean, it's going to mirror the IPL now with all these games. Mm. You're going to have to really sort of load up the fitness running into the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And now the great thing is I've got a big training block, you know, in the lead up to grade cricket starting and then all the way through grade cricket. So are you cricket. off until next season, basically? No yep. CPL, nothing great? Yeah, no, nothing. So I've got a big, yeah, big time to be able to get my body right. I held together really well up until the last couple of weeks of the IPL, which, you know, I was playing you know, from the start of the Big Bash. I played a lot of games um, through that six-month period, so... It's a continual evolution of my training as well, because um, it's very different to be just be playing a few tournaments a year instead of playing all year all year round. So, it's just getting that balance right from a physical point of view to make sure that I'm I'm absolutely where I need to be from a physical point of view, but also from a skill point of view. At the start of the Big Bash, because um, yeah, the pre- not last year, the previous, the year before that, I got it wrong, and um, yeah, I got injured in, in the lead up, and then my skills were nowhere near where they need to be at the start of the tournament. And, and you mentioned the IPL, such a stunning success in the final. Congratulations, man of the Thank match. You. you hit Chennai to the, literally hit them to the title. I mean, how, where does that rank in your achievements and how thrilling was it to sort of score runs on one of the biggest stages? Yeah, look, for a few, for a few different reasons, um, it was definitely one of my you know, best innings that I've played. And to be able to do it, to be able to do that in a final, you know, I haven't had at times as much success as, as I would have liked in those in, in finals um, and in those in those not big well yeah those really big games especially in a, in a final um, and my previous experience of playing in an IPL final um, for Bangalore I had it wasn't a great day <laughs> bad and ball um, so that's you know it's always in the back of my mind to be able to do everything I can to hopefully have a good day in a final and um, it just worked out you know worked out really well it's just my it's just meant to be my day, I suppose. Um, you know, it took a while for me to get meetings going. A few of my you know, miss hits went in the gap, and then you know, all of a sudden things really clicked. So, look, to be able to be a part of a, a franchise like Chennai and the experience of the IPL and do as well as I did just gives me you know, great confidence. You know, for the over the next couple of years to know that I've still got. A lot of great cricket, in, yeah, a lot of great cricket inside me. I guess as well, you're at a stage where you can actually sit back and appreciate those innings. Mm. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. When when you're playing non-stop and you're just on the you know, on the um, the roller coaster of international cricket and just sort of come into the IPL and play and then and move on to the next Australian game, it sort of just all rolls into one. Um, and now 
at the stage of my career, definitely I absolutely appreciate the opportunities I've got, but also those really good days, I appreciate appreciate those even more. And now I've got more time, a bit more downtime to be able to yeah, enjoy those as well. And, and also... Watch the highlights? Yeah, a few more highlights, yeah, just to be able to... Um, yeah, and also just... Um, you know, have a look at why things went well to be able to try and replicate that more consistently whereas when you're just on the on the treadmill all the time it's just you just keep going um, until sometimes you crash and burn yeah. now last question I know you're part of the review into Australian cricket mm-hmm. um, do you think that the people conducting the review are asking the right questions yes absolutely um, they're certainly asking the right questions and the you know the people that they've um, that they're asking the questions to um, are certainly the right people and in the end it really just comes down to what the the results that come of it it really just comes down to exactly what Cricket Australia want to do with those the findings that, that come out and how um, how much they really want to make a difference to um, to things that have happened over the last and evolved you know unfortunately evolved to over the last probably you know, a few years anyway um, so and I know you know, I'm sure Cricket Australia have, of course want to make have some impact um, and improve things, so um, hopefully it doesn't fall on deaf ears. Yeah, have you been happy with your input into the review? What you've had to yeah, say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've um, yeah I've got very strong opinions on a few things that I've been involved around and seen it more intimately. You know, being around the Australian team and especially right at the back end of my you know, career as well. So yeah, I've got I've had yeah. a few very strong opinions on um, a few things that um, that continued to occur and. That, I think that's well. I know that's a similar voice to a lot of you know, a lot of people's thoughts on how things have um, evolved as well. Yeah, Josh Hazelwood was saying to me he thinks that you know the focus just became on winning all the time and not really mm-hmm. looking after each other off the field. Do you think mm-hmm. that's sort of a fair fair call? Yeah, when there's a win at all costs siege mentality, things can go wrong. Of course you want to. Of course you want to win. Everyone's got that you know, inside them. They don't like. No one likes losing. But when it becomes win at all costs, um, it means at times people can. They do push the they do push the line, um, and too far, um, and that's not just the players. That's that's up the chain as well, um, and that's and that's you know, part of the whole review is just being able to to put things back in context. Almost. Absolutely, put things back into context to realise that, of course, the teams want to win and they do everything they can within, of course, within the rules and in the spirit of the game, and that filters not just on the cricket field but also you know back up the up the chain to the administration as well. Thanks a lot for your time, Shane. Enjoy the time off now. Pleasure, I certainly will. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. That was Shane Watson there speaking, and I'm here with Lisa Stalaker, former Australian captain and media star, just everywhere. (laughs) I'll take that, media star, why not? Now, I thought it was really interesting what Shane Watson said about the review into Australian cricket there, that the team had sort of got this siege mentality and it become win at all costs so I think that's a really interesting look and it sort of follows on from what Josh Hazelwood said to me recently that you know this win at all costs mentality seems to filter down from the top not just the players but the chain the, the corporate imperative for Australian cricket to succeed well one of cricket Australia's strategies they have five pillars and one of them is performance and under that it says to win uh, to be ranked number 1 in all formats across the men and the women's competitions so certainly that has been a driving force for the organization for a number of years and that's probably where we've we've had that mentality of win at all costs and and we kind of forget the bigger picture 
I think not only the Australian administration, but the Australian fans need to start to reset their expectations about the Australian cricket team. And maybe as a country, we get have to get over this sort of expectation that our cricket team has this divine right to be the best and to win. I mean, other countries are catching up. I mean, you look at three forms of the game, test cricket, 50-over cricket, T20 cricket. You just can't expect to dominate all of them. And we're seeing now that... Other other countries have caught up. India's taken over in test level. We have to reset the expectations from a fan's point of view. And perhaps the corporate imperative from Cricket Australia has to not be about winning all the time. I believe that, you know, as fans, we want a tight contest as well. For, for cricket lovers, you want the last ball finish. You want potentially Australia to, to have their backs against the wall and fight out of a tough situation. You and I were talking before the, we started the show that when Australia dominated, it, it got a bit boring. And it's right, it did. As much as Australia were winning every game, you wanted a contest. We're getting that now. So as fans, embrace that and enjoy enjoy the skill level and enjoy seeing a different aspect of our players. You know, can they deal with pressure? Can they come out of tricky situations? We're starting to see that more and more. That makes a great drama in itself. Absolutely, and I think we, we should start to want our cricket team to be a good representation of our country in the way they behave, the way they carry themselves, how they behave off the field, all the things that Justin Lang has talked about. The way we view our cricket team is not just based around how they do on the field. If they're outplayed or outskilled, we've just got to accept that. And I think uh, that's exactly what we did in the recent series, wasn't it? England were just the better team. You could see that in, in what they were doing on the field. Australia competed at a number of times, but they just lost key moments or there weren't players that put their hand up accordingly. And we were outplayed, as simple as that. And that's okay. It's okay because we, we're rebuilding. We've got a lot of young players coming in. And you're right, the Australian public, the sponsors and the fans need to understand where Australian cricket is at and what's more important. That's what they've got exactly. to ask themselves. And the, and the corporate imperative shouldn't come from Cricket Australia that incentives are given for winning or, the, as you say, one of the pillars shouldn't be to be number one in all games, Okay, in all forms. It should be a something you strive for you all want to be the best that you can but to put a corporate imperative on the team and that the health of the game in this country is dependent on how well the team performs on the field is probably where Australia's got it right and I'm sorry but Pat Howard Darren Lehman and the whole high performance unit will I think are going to come out from this review looking pretty bad We'll have to wait and see, won't we? But everyone Very can't diplomatic. wait until we just see Just nudge it. that one to third man, <laughs> yeah, I did. Lisa. I'll just take the single. Thanks. I'll get up the other end. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to finish this podcast with a debate, Lisa. And um, this is one of my favourite segments, Read and React, sort of morphed into Media Watch. Um, now, there was an article in the Times in the UK by Elizabeth Ammon, or as she's known on Twitter, Leg Side Lizzie. And I just want to make it clear from the beginning – it's a good article. It's well balanced. There's, I wouldn't say there's, she presents all the arguments and she doesn't start off with the proposition that women's cricket needs to be fixed. But she does suggest that would be better to shorten the pitch for women's cricket from 22 yards to 20 yards. So there's more pace coming onto the ball in the women's game. So you, you bring the fast bowlers into the game a bit more. And obviously if the ball's coming onto the bat more, you see the, the ball traveling quicker 
around the ground. So what's your initial reaction when someone suggests that they should shorten the pitch in women's cricket? Well, just before I I answer that question, one thing as a commentator now, when we're covering the women's games, we want a pitch that's got pace and bounce in it because then the spectacle of the women's game is shown because it is less pace coming on to the bat. So if a pitch is slow and low, you're not going to see the fours, the sixes, the entertainment that we like want. Like the Ashes um, test we saw at North Sydney Oval. Pitch slowed down, the cricket became a little bit attritional. Correct. So I can understand from a viewer's point of view, you want to see the bells and whistles. Absolutely. And and the players are trying and striving to play a brand, a style of cricket that will allow that to happen. If you were to shorten the pitch, potentially it would help. It could. Only concern now is that we've fought f- so hard for the double headers. How is that going to affect you? The, the ground staff would have to create another pitch because you, the dimensions would be different because you'd be running on you know the areas that you're not supposed to before the men's match. So it does create a few issues in that. My only concern as well by shortening the pitches, yes, you bring the fast bowlers in, but what about the spinners? I'm a spinner and I'm like, give us a chance as well. So something that I've spoken about and other people have mentioned as well is reducing the size of the ball. So at the moment, uh, the men's ball is 156 grams. The women's ball is 142. But the size of it, it doesn't, it's slightly smaller. But what if we were to go even smaller? Well, it would allow the, well, not a golf ball, but you'd allow (laughs) the fast bowlers would bowl it quicker, wouldn't they? They'd throw it quicker. The spinners could actually put more revs on the ball and the ball would turn bigger. Isn't that a spectacle in itself? And we're not actually changing the dimensions because... It's a big thing to ask elite players to change what line and length, and I think she said this in the article. It, it would take some time for players to know where the right lengths are to, to bowl it. Well, let's find an easier solution. Yes, that might be an option way down the track if we ever need to go there, but I don't think we do. Out of all of the women's sports, soccer, hockey, they all play on the same dimensions. It's just a known fact that the women will be slower, and that's okay. You've got to take it for what it is, not compare it necessarily with the men's game all the time. And that's what we're trying to get get away from is just accept it for what it is. And it's still a great contest. Absolutely. I think you've been very diplomatic in your answer there, Lisa. You've, you've given some <laughs> good answers. I actually think, though, that it's a good idea. Take out the practicalities. It's a great idea. A little bit more pace on the ball. What Can you imagine the- a shorter, shorter wicket and... And a lighter ball. I mean, can you imagine Elise Perry steaming in off 18 yards with a ping pong ball or a golf ball? Well, you're all of a sudden we're allowing the bowlers to come back into the equation, which is nice to see for once instead Mm. of it going to the side of the batters. But uh, you've got to also remember that cricket has always been played on the same dimensions as they grow and and develop. And and whilst Cricket Australia has changed the lengths in underage competitions, I think last year, it still would take a period of time to change, whereas the, the easiest thing is a smaller ball. And I just there's a couple of reasons she gives for this. So um, she talks about women never get the fear when they're batting. Now, someone that played a lot of international cricket, what do you say about that? Well, if you face Catherine Fitzpatrick at full flight, you're still pretty fearful. So, yes, it's not 100 and 135 kilometres, but uh, I think... Catherine Fitzpatrick was clocked at just over 125, so still Pretty fast. Quick. Yep. So, Legside Lizzie, good idea, 
good article, but we're not going for it on this podcast. <laughs> not not yet. <laughs> not yet. But I guess it, it, the only area that it does really need test cricket, women's test cricket, if they want to develop that, they need to do something with it. Well, you need to bring in all of the the modes, sorry, of dismissal. So fast bowlers, spinners, even the fact that the wicket doesn't deteriorate. We don't have cracks. We don't have rough patches for the spinners to bowl in because we hardly touch the wicket as females. So that element... Bigger studs. I mean, that's fixed right there. (laughs) More studs, bigger studs. So those aspects are all missing as well. It's not just the fast bowling. Ball tampering. Ball tampering would certainly help women's cricket. It would, but we don't need that. We should encourage it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm talking in jest. All right, we've come to the end of the podcast this week. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on. You know, I heard you say on another rival podcast mm. that you will be covering the first women's game next summer. I will. And it's going to be really exciting because it's played right after the AFL Grand Final. So all of Victoria will be around their TVs <laughs> um, watching the AFL Grand Final and then they're just going to switch over to the women's cricket. You're going to have... Like all of Victoria watching you. Yeah, that'd be great. It'd be nice to have other country, uh, other states as well. Yeah, it's going to it's going to be great. I think uh, very brave of Cricket Australia to do that. And uh, what else have you got planned in the off season? Are you jetting off anywhere? Commentating anywhere? No, just taking it easy. To be honest, I've got a few little projects I'm doing at the moment with the Bradman Museum, which I'm enjoying, uh, and just walking the dog. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Listeners, thanks so much for downloading Cricket Unfiltered. The T20 series in Zimbabwe continues every day, pretty much at dinner time. So perfect time for Aussie viewers to see the T20 side in action. And we'll be back next week with another show.